And for those of you who are wondering, um, it has become a tradition, self-proclaimed tradition, that we wear a bow tie on the day we start a new book of the Bible, and so uh, that's why I'm wearing a bow tie today. And when we're through Genesis, when we start the next book, we'll wear a bow tie that day too. So for those of you who know how to tie a bow tie, you have a couple of weeks to get ready for that next uh, service. Uh, one other thing real quick too, for those of you who signed up for the uh, church membership, uh, you'll be receiving an email with further instruction. So this will also help you check your email on a weekly basis. Uh, but uh, please do that. I'll be sending out an email just with a couple little updates on what's happening and when it's happening. So uh, just be checking for that this week. Uh, before we go any further, though, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, as we're about ready to begin, the opening pages of Scripture, the opening sentence of Scripture, Dearly Father, help us to be able to drink deeply of these truths that are so boldly proclaimed in this text. Help us. There's so many things here that we desperately need to grasp, to understand. As we take step one here, Heavenly Father, may we realize that this step is not a step into the air, hoping that something will catch us, but it is on firm, solid ground of your word. Help us now. In your name we pray. Amen. So there have been several great first-line openings of literature in the human history. I'm going to... Uh, Kind of, I'll say one, and in your mind you think if you can know which book that came from. First one here is Call Me Ishmael. Now hopefully you know that that came from Moby Dick, uh, Herman Melville, when he wrote that. Another one of famous literature, It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times. That's Charles Dickinson's The Tale of Two Cities. Hopefully you get this next one. If you do not, I need your uh, U.S. citizen card. When in the course of human events, right, that is the Declaration of Independence, and if you don't know that, I'd encourage you to read it. Uh, it's kind of an important document in the history of the United States. Yet when on December 24, 1968, when astronaut Buzz Aldrin was struggling to find the right words to close his public address that he was giving as he orbited the Earth and saw the majesty and vastness of space in Apollo 8. Through the crackling of the radio, he spoke these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I'd encourage you, if you don't have a chance to look that up, you can see literally the, the film of that where he was up there with his voice recording as Apollo 8 is circling, seeing the beauty of our world around us and hearing scripture being read. You can hear in his voice, he has nothing else to say but to say the only thing that you can say in that is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This one verse alone is literally, I would argue, is the foundation block of the Christian worldview. If you do not understand this first verse, if you do not understand this first verse in its fullness, I really do believe you do not understand how a Christian views the world. Remember what a Christian worldview is, is the understanding of how, as a believer or follower of God, you view reality. And as a believer and a follower of God, Everything that we see comes through the filter of God's Word. If you do not have a Christian worldview, you're using some other type of filter. Sadly, in our world, most of the filter is their own morality and their own thinking is the filter that they view everything through. But for a believer in Christ, our filter, 
that explains everything and gives us an understanding of all reality is the Word of God. So for the next several weeks here, we're going to break down this short opening statement. I would even go as far far to say that this opening statement is a dividing statement. It is a statement that if you truly believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, it puts you on a path that is at odds with the world, with the world's theories, with the way the world says things are about. It puts you at odds with all of the thinking that this world has to offer. And as Olenesis of Alexandria once said, if the world goes against the truth, then I go against the world. This opening statement of Scripture is not something that we should easily pass by. Most of us, if you someone to say, quote a verse of the Bible, hopefully most of you got this one. Probably the next one is John 3.16. But these things just so easily roll off our lips, but I don't think we really have spent time enough even though you may have said, Tim, I spent time. I would argue, if you were in Sunday school, you realize you have not spent time enough in this first verse. And I could guarantee you that I have not spent enough time in this first verse. That's why we're only going to handle a couple words. So what are the truth claims the Bible is claiming from the very beginning? So we are going to handle four words today. In the beginning, God. Literally, the title of today's sermon is In the Beginning God. Imagine that. I want to be clear here real quick. Notice this whole verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This opening line of Scripture, the opening line of the Bible, is written as a stated fact. There is no argument given to prove the existence of God. It literally proclaims from the very beginning, In the beginning, God. The Bible very clearly is arguing there is no need or no need to show any type of argument. It is an obvious fact that needs no evidence. What I started off with the call to worship today, the heavens declare the glory of God. It doesn't say if you have to look closely. It literally says the heavens proclaim loudly that God is God, and the earth brings forth and shows His handiwork. And it literally talks about it that day unto day, the speech of who God is, that there is a Creator God, is all around you. That it is not something you can avoid. Now you can try to ignore it, you can try to explain it away, but let's be honest, all of those explanations are so far in comparison to anything the Bible has to tell us, because the Bible explains reality in all of its fullness and all of its beauty. So let's look at this first prepositional phrase, in the beginning. Point number one is in the beginning, and with these three words, there is a mile marker of recorded human history planted firmly in the ground. We have our first mile marker that in the beginning, and now we're moving forward for all recorded human history. This is the beginning of human history that is about ready to play out. But we know not only that, though, we're not bound by the circular view of history. What we have is we know the beginning, and we also know where history is moving towards. In Revelation 21 and chapter 22, it is very clear that we're moving from the heavens and the earth, that we're the final goal of human history is a new heavens and a new earth, that we will be together forever with God. And we have to ask ourselves, we'll find out, why do we need a new heaven and a new earth? What happened to the 
first heaven and the first earth that were created. Why does God need to come? And why is he creating a new heavens and a new earth to live in? We'll answer all of that as we go through Genesis. But what it does for the believer is it gives us an understanding that everything now dwells between the beginning and the conclusion of biblical history here. So this in-between here now is a pause in our own lives to understand that in the beginning and the events between the beginning and the end have eternal significance. How do they have eternal significance? They have eternal significance because it comes from a God who is eternal. Because notice from the very beginning of Genesis here, in the beginning God, we have God who is before the beginning, before time, before all of these things, God is here alive and active and moving and everything then that unfolds and that unfolds after that is shaped and controlled by God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, that, but that in the beginning, God reminds us that everything else that is taking place, because He is from the beginning, He is before of all time, He is the eternal God, that everything that proceeds afterwards is shaped and controlled by God. There is no maverick molecule floating around this world that God is not control of, is because everything has come from Him and everything is created by Him. And that everything is working together and everything is part of God's plan. Now, that is easy to say. But as us humans, as we sit here, there are moments of wrestle and there is moments of struggle. But here's what we need to understand, that everything that ever has been and ever will be has come from Almighty God. Now again... We need to boldly proclaim that we'll handle. What do we do with this issue of evil? How did that come about? What's up with that? Does God have control over this? Does God have control over that? What about these things that seem like they're just random and all over the world? But here's what we know at the very beginning, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And from that standpoint is how we address everything else. And this is where the wrestle comes in. It's not that the wrestle is not real and going on there. One of the things that Christianity, I believe, has a phenomenal answer to, but has to answer that if in the beginning God, how did we get everything we have now? And so we wrestle through that. But I believe the Bible gives us those answers we'll explore. And I believe answers them in ways that nothing else in this world can give any type of hope. Turn your Bibles real quick to Psalm 90. This whole idea that in the beginning God and time and space, everything of this, this is a phenomenal psalm. In Psalm 90, this is a prayer of Moses. Let's look at verse, let's start in verse um, 1 and we'll just keep going. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the, the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Even there, the, the, this prayer of Moses, Moses is saying, even before the world was created, you are from everlasting and you are to everlasting. You are God and God alone. And from that standpoint then, he pens verse 3. You return, to, you return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are yet but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. Here, real quick, he's, 
immediately Moses is talking about the everlasting nature of God, how grand God is, and how great He is, and how He was before all time. And then he turns his focus to this dust that has been shaped and formed in the image of God. He turns to it and he reminds you, you are nothing compared to Almighty God. Now we'll find out where we get our intrinsic value from. But when we compare ourselves from the non-created eternal God and man, it's not even on the same page to even compare man. And the, Moses goes on over in verse 10. The years of your life are 70, and even by reason of strength, 80. Speaking of, you think you are great. I mean, the eternal God, and what, what does man have? Eter, eternal God. Let's think about this. Eternity. No, ta- no beginning, no end. And what is man's? 70. Maybe if one of you is really, really strong, 80, you know, for those of you in the room that are over 80, you guys have got, you know, got it all together here. Yet, well, what is your span known as? Toil and trouble, they are soon gone, and we fly away. Yet God's word stands forever. So when we look at these first four words of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God... Turning back here, let's look at the fourth word, God. This word God, in the Hebrew here, is the word Elohim, which means one of supreme strength or power. It's the, it's the name of God that He uses when He is creating things or, or doing things with power and might. What we see from this, in the beginning God, we see that God before anything else. If we have in the beginning God, there's no created world yet in this. There's nothing to attach His attention to other than Himself. That means, by sheer definition of in the beginning God, that God is the originator and initiator of all things. All things come from Him. And since God was before time, all reality then is defined by Him. Reality is not defined by man. For man to determine their own reality, God is the one who defines reality. And we live in a day and age where man in his arrogant arrogant nature is deciding that not only am I going to rewrite my own history, I'm going to rewrite myself because I don't like the way God has made me and I am the captain of my own soul. I am the master of my own fate. I do not need God. And when we reject God as a society, we are literally left with nothing other than Man groping in the dark, trying to find his own way. And what man has done is, what we have decided to do, is as we walk off the cliff of reality, we are all marching to the same drum. And what the world is saying, you Christians get in line with this, but the Word of God says no from the very beginning. It is not man who defines truth. It is God. But if we don't understand this, if we don't grasp this, what can happen all day long is we wake up every morning and we think, this is what I'm going to do, this is how I'm going to do everything, and very quickly we put ourselves on the throne of this world. Because very quickly we can become so arrogant, so prideful because of sin, that we think by you just being alive today, you are just... The, the phrase, the cat's meow, or just the greatest thing there ever was, the greatest thing since sliced bread, fill in the blank. But until we realize that in the beginning, God, and it's not in the beginning, and then fill your name. In the beginning, God. So what does it mean to live 
as a created being. So there's a couple things here real quick, though, I want to point out. That in the beginning, God talks about the eternal nature of God. Real quick, let's go to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. And I want to see that not only does the Bible claim that God was in the beginning, notice what it also claims in Revelation chapter 22, 13. In Revelation 22, 13, it says, uh, Jesus speaking here, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. That I was at the beginning, I am at the end, I am the, 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 the first alpha, letter in the alphabet, the last letter in the alphabet, I am from the beginning to the end, there is no one other than me. I am God and God alone. It's very interesting here, too, this whole idea of in the beginning God was not just taken up by Moses, but when John is sitting down to write the Gospel of John, as he's putting it together, because I would argue that John is one of the later um, Gospels that is written, and John's purpose of writing it was to proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God. He does not go through in the same way that Matthew, Mark, or Luke are writing more of the historical count. John's got a point, and he starts off at the very beginning, Jesus is God, and how does he start off? He starts off by appealing to this, with using the same verbiage of Genesis 1.1. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. This is, should be ringing in your ears as a, as a studier of the Word of God that in the beginning was Jesus. He was there because Jesus is God, is what he's basically saying. And settling it for once and for all by penning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is with God, and the Word was God. That Jesus is God. So what we see here is not only the eternal nature of God, but we see here is the otherness of God. Turn with me to... Exodus 15.11 here. And in Exodus 15.11, as Moses here is singing again the praise of God, after the Red Sea crossing here, here's what Moses says. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds and wonder? You stretched out your right hand, and the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people you redeemed. You have guided them by your strength and your holy abode. And he's reminding them who is like God, and the answer is no one. There was no one like him. Why? Because he was from the beginning, and everything that has come after him has been created by him. In Sunday school, we had a little time and a little bit of a where we're going to go, even in the, the last parts of this sentence. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you look at all of the gods that have ever been made up by mankind, all of the gods are dealing with some type of deity that is in the sky, with, whether it's sun, moon, stars, all of these other things. And what does Moses say? In the beginning, God created all of those things. So do not worship them because they are created things. Worship me and me alone. That is why, again, it is in the commandments not to make any graven image of God because there is nothing in this earth that is like Him. So we don't make any graven image of Him to worship Him. When we think of the otherness of God, we think of this, 
This, there's a term called the solitariness of God. Some of you may know that. The solitary is a card game you play by yourself. If you, it's, a bad, it's a bad party if you invite a group of people over to play solitary, all right, because it's a card game that is meant to be played by yourself. So when we say, talk about the solitariness of God, here's what A.W. Pink pens in his book on the attributes of God. He says, Before all else, in the beginning God, there was a time, if time could be called, when God in the unity of his nature dwelt all alone. In the beginning God, there was no heaven where his glory is now particularly manifested. There was no earth to engage his attention. There were no angels to him, him praise, no universe to be upheld by the word of his power. There was nothing, no one but God, and that not for a day or a year or an age, but from everlasting. During eternity past, God was alone, self-contained, self-sufficient, self-satisfied, in need of nothing. Had a universe, had angels, had human beings been necessary to him, they would have been called into existence from all of eternity. In the beginning, God. God dwelling in the beauty of his holiness, in complete harmony and, and unity within the Trinity. The sheer fact that he created was for his own glory, and for us to see the beauty and glory of God and to reflect that as image bearers of him, which we'll get to in many weeks. In the beginning, God also, not only does it show us the eternality of God, show us the solitariness of God, it also shows us that God is sovereign over all things. Turn to Colossians where Paul picks up this idea. Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Let's start at verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He was before all things, and in him all things are held together. This is why... God has the right to declare Himself sovereign over all things because all things come from Him. All things are to Him. He holds all things together. He has sovereign control over all things. Now again, we have talked about this. One of the struggles with being human is saying we want to be sovereign over all things. One of the struggles that even Adam and Eve, when we get to that, we'll be talking about where Adam and Eve are going to say, no, we want the right to make our final decisions. And man is going to be continually rebelling against Almighty God. And that is why, as this wrestle goes on, one of the things about God that the human struggles with and wrestles with, we love the fact that God will bless this world. We love the fact that all these things, but all of a sudden when God says, I am on my throne, let all the earth be silent. You worship me and me alone because I am the sovereign creator. Every single one of us in our hearts want to say, yeah, but, and we fill in the blank. One of the number one things that we need to continually be asking ourselves is this, am I submitting my heart and my life to God's sovereign rule in this world. Because it can be so easy to say, God, we've got this. I think I know what's better. We can be so easy. Before you know it, we make salvation all about us. We make this whole world all about us instead of all of these things that are happening in this world. 
is for us to have our eyes and our minds drawn to God and God alone. But here's what, here's what happens. I mean, it is, it is crazy when we take a moment and step back and think about it. And we've talked about this all the time. All the world is literally a play that is designed for us to stand and applaud the, great, the greatness of God and His glory. But what we do is we take all these little temples, and that when we put these little temples together, and then we put man in it, in these little temples of worship, and they're usually in many of the big cities, and you usually put some type of court inside, and you take someone who can jump and take a round ball and put it in a round hoop, and we all stand up and, and just praise them. The individual, when they're done, literally pounds their chest, and look what I did. I put a round ball in a round hoop, and everybody will spend millions of dollars because that guy can put a round ball in a round hoop over and over and over again. And did you see how he put that round ball in that round hoop? And then we'll talk about it all day long about this, and we'll argue of who's better at putting the round ball in the round hoop and you want to go, well, someone put a square ball in a round hoop? Then maybe we'll jump up and down. But anybody can put a round ball in a round hoop. It's just you put it in better than I do. And we sit there and go, wow, what an absolute waste when we think in eternity. But it is so quick for us to so lose our focus when what really matters and all of a sudden, we can be undone by so many things that just cause us to forget. Think big picture here, folks. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and everything comes from Him. And so when we live in our day and age, where it is, it is mind-boggling to me when my wife and I sit here and we watch one more statement being made of absolute, utter confusion by things that I never thought we'd be confused of in this world where you sit there and you go, are we really having this conversation as a society right now? Or do we really have people that do not understand some of the most basic facts of humanity? And we sit there and we go, the reason why is because we've rebelled against this very first statement. Because the world has said, whether it's they've argued God out of existence in their mind, whether you want to claim with the Germans that God is dead or all these other things that you'd like to claim, there's a couple things in reality that you can't get around. Because when Jesus standing here, calling out to the masses about the way to eternal life, the way he describes it literally, I am the way. He does not say a way. He goes, I am the way, the truth and the life. You will not understand life. You will not understand the way of salvation. You will literally not understand truth unless you understand that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. One of the most devastating passages of Scripture is in Amos, where Amos here in the Minor Prophets is talking about a famine that's going to come across the land. And it's going to say this famine is going to destroy people. It's going to leave people destitute. And then it goes on to say what type of famine it is. It's not a famine of food or or water is literally a famine of the Word of God is out of the lips, out of the minds of people. And we are literally living in a country right now where we are in a famine of the Word of God. And that famine is not just... I'll be, let's just go right at it here. That famine is not just outside the church. There are so many errors that are creeping into the church all around us because we are people that are sadly ignorant of the truth of what God's Word actually says. 
where sadly today, if Jesus were to come back and to address some of the heirs, all he would have to say is, like he said to the Pharisees of old, have you not read, is literally his rebuttal. But he's saying that to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are the ones who supposedly had memorized the law of God. That literally that's all they did all day was study the word of God. And what does Jesus rebuke them with? Not have you not studied this, it's have you literally not read it? And so what is in front of us all the time, because we know without a shadow of a doubt, the Bible tells us that when the Lord is near to return, that the deception is going to be great. It is going to be so great that even those of the household of God will be deceived. Well, how are you not deceived? It's the same thing, too, if you've ever been on a boat and you've ever had any type of drift going on. When you've ever drifted on a boat, you need to look at something that's not moving to know if you're drifting. All right, but if you look at two boats that are drifting next to each other, you're going to go, hey, we haven't moved because they haven't moved. But no, you're drifting together. You need to look at something that is fixed to know if you have drifted. But it's right in front of us as followers of God is the fixed word of God that does not drift, that does not move. And we need to continually be looking and going, am I living my life in line with the word of God? But when we're not doing that and we're just judging ourselves amongst ourselves, we could all just go drifting down the merry, you know, as here we go down the, 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 um, the stream of life. And before you know it, we look back and go, where have we been? And what is happening... Church after church after church, they are caving on some of the most basic truths that are found here in Genesis. And so when some people say, well, where are you going to go after Genesis? I'll go right back at it because we seem to miss this. All right, there's a running joke in, in the pastoral world about a pastor who went to his, the church and he was at his church for his first sermon and he preached it and people came up and said, hey, that's great. The next Sunday he came back and he preached the same sermon. And people are like, oh, maybe he only has one sermon. And no one really had the guts to say anything. And then it was the third Sunday he came back and he preached the same sermon. And someone finally went up and said, you know, hey, we really appreciate this, but why did you preach three ser- the same sermon three times? And he said, well, when you start doing it, we'll move to the second one. All right? And so, th- I mean, literally, that's in front of us now. Why we, we can look at some of these things and go, in the beginning, God, and I would go, do you live your life that way? Because the third point is, in the beginning, God literally gives us purpose in life. Because from this passage alone is the only source that we need to look to to find the answer. Because if in the beginning, God, when we're trying to find out any type of answer in life, what do we look back to? God. Because He is from the beginning. He is the only one, the everlasting one, in which we find truth. And since we are not from the beginning, to look at anything created to find ultimate purpose and meaning is literally chasing after the wind. Let me remind us again. Since we are not from the beginning, to look at anything created to find ultimate purpose is only chasing after the wind. And here's what can happen, and I see this all around us. Most of us, if we're not careful, are looking to man to solve all of our problems. If only the Supreme Court would do this. If only this person would come into office. If only this law would be to pass. If only this thing were to take place. And we look at all of those things and we're appealing to them for the answer instead of saying, no, God is on His throne. As Habakkuk reminds us, let all the earth be silent. 
Remember we went through Habakkuk many years, well, a year or two ago, many years ago. I don't know how long I've been here, but it feels like a while. And as we were going through Habakkuk, you could see the noise and the clamoring going on in the book of Habakkuk where he's saying, violence is everywhere, lawlessness is going forward, all of the evil is happening. Remember Habakkuk's like, I'm staying put until I hear something from you. And God basically says to him, enough. The clamor going on here, all of this. God is on his throne and is the nicest way is shut your mouth. Be silent, world. God is in control of all of this. And how does Habakkuk able to understand that is because from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. Genesis, in a way, can be broken down into two sections. Genesis 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11, and then 12 1. But here's what is at stake. I don't, I'm still debating on should we do all of the attacks of the book of Genesis, but here's what I want to throw out to you. We live in a day and age that is attacking Genesis 1 through 11 and trying to say it is fable, it is, it is just a made-up theory, all of these things that go on. We are beyond, as a church body, as we stand here and we teach this as true historical events. We are a minority, and I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. Any way, shape, or form, what I'm trying to say to you is, wake up, what we're about ready to go through, not very many people believe, and when you spout this stuff and say it is true, you will be attacked as saying, oh, you are archaic, you believe that stuff is, that never really happened, because if we can ignore all of these things that happen, then we can just rewrite whatever we want to have, And we don't have historical narratives. We don't have all of these things. And it really doesn't matter. All of this is a fable. And if we can do that, then we don't have to deal with the number one thing that humanity does not want to deal with is sin. We can just push it all aside. Because now, truth and what is right or wrong comes from the herd. Because we are living in a day and age where the loudest voice is determining morality not an eternal standard that doesn't change. You can yell a lie as loud as you want, but it is still a lie. You don't have to yell the truth. You can just state it, which is what I love what Moses says here. He does not sit here and say, let me give you all of the the arguments for God. He doesn't sit there and say, "Let let me start off by my opening argument. Literally what he says is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's all you need to know. And if we understand that fact and that fact alone, the rest of the Bible, let alone all reality, makes sense. It fits together in the beautiful harmony that reality gives us. The Bible, even though we may never understand all of the workings on how evil came about, you know what the Bible tells us? Evil came about, and here's what God did about it. And yet we can sit here and we can contemplate our navels until the cows come home about talking snakes, about all these other things we can do, where we can say, here's what the Bible recorded for us in time and space and history. And either we believe it or we reject it. And all I have to say to you, for those of you in the room that are wondering, do we really go down this route or not? Look at reality through the lens of Scripture and you tell me where the answers are. Because the Bible boldly proclaims from the very beginning, in the beginning, God. 
So what did we learn today? There's only one way to understand reality, truth, and everything else that comes. There's only one way to understand meaning. We must start at the very beginning. That in the beginning, God. Let's pray. Dear Holy Father, help us As we're about ready to take communion and to turn our hearts to the communion table. Thank you that you did not leave us in our unstaved, helpless state. That you came and redeemed to bring us back into fellowship with you. May the song we're going to sing and then the sharing of the cup and the bread, may it be a wonderful proclamation of that great salvation. Help us now. In your son's name we pray. Amen.